We're going to be in Colossians uh, this morning as we are going through that series, and we're looking at a passage that uh, obviously Paul was not trained in English grammar because it is one long sentence in the Greek, no periods anywhere in this whole text, all the way through his prayer. It's all one big long sentence. You've heard me say some prayers like that too. Uh, <laughs> over the years. But anyway, uh, here it is. It's some great stuff that Paul shares from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. These are people, again, that he has never really met. He's, he's led a few people in, in uh, salvation and they, at Ephesus, and then they went back home and planted the church at Colossae, but he himself had never been there, never met them. And so he's... You see here his heart for them and how he prays for these people uh, that he has not yet met. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Father God, we just ask, Lord, this morning that you would take uh, these words, these inspired and inerrant words of God, and breathe life into them anew this morning in us. Instruct us rebuke us, correct us, and train us in righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul prays for these people four prayer requests. He wants to see God do four things in their lives. And the very first thing that Paul prays for is that they would increase in knowledge and understanding of God's will and God's purposes for them. Now, that's wisdom that he's talking about there. It's, it's applied knowledge. But the first thing that I want you to see there in, in our text is that he says, I pray that God will fill you. Because a lot of times what we want is just enough to get by. We want other things filled in our life. But when it comes to spiritual things, a lot of times we want just enough to get by with. Just enough so that we can say, yeah, we did that. We covered those bases. Paul prays that they would be filled with a knowledge and understanding of God's will and purposes. He's talking about practical wisdom, a knowledge that comes from practical 
and personal experience and from putting it into practice. The only way that you and I really get to know God and know what his will is for us is by putting what we have learned into practice. Knowledge in the Christian life does not do us any good until we do something with it. That is one of the faults that we find, I think, so much in American Christianity. You go to other places and they just assume that when they are taught something, they are supposed to do something with it. Americans assume that we should learn something and go home and sit on it. (laughs) Because we're just kind of an educated society. And Paul says, no, if you really want to know what God's will is for your life, you have to start doing something with what you have learned. I struggle with this in my own life. It's it's easy for me to to learn something and then not do anything practical with it. Troy Austin was with us from a year and a half ago from Houston and the National Christian Foundation. And he said, wisdom is the practical and correct application of knowledge. So it's taking knowledge and doing something with it, but not only doing something with it, but learning to do the right thing with it, the correct application of knowledge. Now, one of the ways that you and I learn God's will for our life is by walking with God. Twenty-six years ago, five, almost six, um, I was trying to think what year it is. Not what what year we got married, but what year is it today? (laughs) So I was doing math in my head, and it wasn't working. Uh, So thank you, Priscilla. (laughs) But, you know, there were a lot of things in those early years of our marriage that we had to confer about to figure out what does she like? What is her will? What's her purpose here? And she had to ask me. There's a lot of things today that Priscilla and I don't talk about anymore because I've lived with her long enough. I already know what she's going to think about some things. I already know what she's going to, what her purpose is in doing something. And she knows me. And we still have our things that just annoy us, but we know. (laughs) I know what she's going to think, and she knows how I'm going to behave, and she knows what to expect of me and all of that. We don't have to talk about those kind of things. Because those things we've just learned as we've walked with each other uh, through marriage. We understand that. Even in, in working here at the church for, uh, with, the, with the church board, when I first came here, there were a lot of things that I ran by the church board. Because I didn't have a clue how they would respond, what they thought. Now, you know, I know what per, pretty much... I can make a decision and I can run through my board members and I can think, this is exactly how they're going to perceive that. And some things I just know I can go ahead and act on because I bases are covered. I know exactly how they're going to think and act and all of that and respond. And then other things I take to them, uh, maybe not because I don't know how they're going to respond, but just as a way of honoring them to bring it to them and and get the response, and a lot of times they can just add so much insight and wisdom to my little sphere of of wisdom and all of that. 
But the longer you walk with God, it's the same kind of thing. You will eventually grow in that knowledge of what God's will and what his purpose is for you. And a lot of that is aided by the Spirit of God as you pray and as you spend time in God's word, that will help you grow in a knowledge of God's will. But there again, you have to do something with it. And that leads us to the second thing that Paul prays for. He's not only drawing us to wisdom, but he says we have to come to the point of obedience. And he's talking about a pleasing walk. And Dr. Steve Lennox, who is now at... Um, at um, Kingswood uh, University, but back here when he gave this quote, he was at Indiana Wesleyan. He said, wisdom is more than just um, a decision to embrace Christ and become a Christian. It's about a, uh, a lifestyle of embracing a Christian way of life. Wisdom is about embracing a Christian way of life. Now, that makes sense. There is no wisdom apart from God anyway. He's the one that designed each one of us, designed the world. And and if we're going to have any wisdom at all, we have to adopt his way of living and his way of life. So wisdom is about actually walking and doing what we've been taught. And Paul prays for the Colossians that they would have a pleasing walk. Now, a pleasing walk has three things that are up on the screen. First of all, it honors Jesus instead of honoring ourselves or what other people want. There is the old um, hymn that says, Living for Jesus, a life that is true, striving to please him in all that I do, yielding allegiance, glad-hearted and free, that is the pathway a blessing for me. Friends, you and I will never find blessing in this life apart from living a life that honors Jesus. That is the sum total of of how to find blessing in our lives is living to please Him. And, And of course, that goes against everything that's you know in us. That it goes against the selfish nature. We all want to live to please ourselves. But it never produces a life of blessing. You and I have to wake up in the morning. We have to decide today, I want to live my life in such a way to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says, a pleasing walk is one that bears fruit in good works. Bears fruit. Now, that fruit applies to a couple different things. I mean, a fruit should be um, something that you and I do. He, he talks about good work and good deeds and making a, a difference in the lives of people around us. But um, if you look at the word fruit in the scriptures, one of the other things that you will notice um, is that out of there's about 60 references in the New Testament to fruit, 57 of those are about character in your life. The number one fruit that God wants to produce in your life is to change you on the inside and how you respond to things in life and all of of that. So bearing good fruit, a pleasing walk, changes who we are. 
And then a pleasing walk helps us to grow in the knowledge of God. Again, it's that long-term consistency of following God that we finally get to the place where we really know God and we understand His will and His purpose for our life. The third thing that Paul references and he prays for the Colossians is for spiritual power and then he says these words, for steadfastness and patience. When we think of power, we don't think of steadfastness and patience. (laughs) When we think of power, we want something that does something. (laughs) When we think of power, I think of a, you know, a big engine. I think it's something that can pull something. When Paul speaks of spiritual power, he is talking about character. You see, spiritual power does not always intend to change your circumstances. Spiritual power is not always going to be about making things radically different or undoing something that you didn't like in your life or you don't like is is happening in your life. Spiritual power doesn't always eradicate all of that or get rid of all of that. But spiritual power doesn't intend to transform us so that we can endure our circumstances in victory. Now, I want to suggest that the greatest need in my life is not to change the circumstances around me. The greatest need I have in my life is to have the proper character to deal with the circumstances around me. And if I deal with anything in my life, and the older I get, the more I see that this is true, that the most important thing is not the the circumstances around me, But what am I going to do internally with those circumstances? And Paul prays for the Colossians that they would have spiritual power for perseverance, steadfastness, patience in the midst of things, stick-to-itiveness. Winston Churchill, Churchill said, the nose of the bulldog is slanted backwards. So he can continue to breathe without letting go. (laughs) Now, you know, I I think that pretty much is a good picture of Winston Churchill. (laughs) I mean, just ferociously hanging on to something, but, you know, his nose was pointed backwards so that he could just continue to breathe and just hang on to whatever he was going through. And sometimes, friends, in our life, we... God does not give us spiritual power to change our circumstances, but he gives us spiritual power so that we can hang on with steadfastness and with patience and with character through the things that we are going through, through the things that God is leading us through. And so in these first three things, you see that God is working with us and he's talking to us about wisdom. 
And then he's talking to us about obedience. And then he's talking to us about character. And God, God praised these things for these Colossian people. And the last one he talks to us about is, is about attitude. And he says to each one of us, and he says to the Colossians, that they need to have a thankful heart. And he prays that they will have a thankful heart. A story is told about a vendor who was selling bagels for 50 cents um, each at a street corner uh, food stand. And a jogger came by one day and threw 50 cents in the kettle and jogged right on, didn't take his bagel. Then he did the same thing the next day. And he kept doing that for a whole month. And, and uh, one day, um, as he was coming by, uh, the vendor went out to meet the jogger and he stopped him. And the jogger said, well, I suppose you want to know why I always come by and throw in 50 cents and never take a bagel and keep on going. And the vendor said, no, I just wanted to tell you that the price of bagels have gone up to 60 cents. <laughs> kind of missed the mark there. Instead of being grateful and thankful or trying to figure out what the man was doing, he just wanted a little bit more. Um, And sometimes that's the way that you and I are with God. God has done uh, incredible things in our lives. And we just want more and we don't stop to thank God for what he has already done. And Paul lists four things that you and I should have a thankful heart for. He says, first of all, that you and I have an inheritance. Peter says an inheritance in heaven that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you. Preserved. Wow. You and I, some people inherit you know, like Donald Trump, $2 million to start life off with. Other people inherit nothing. Or they have what's, what they did have to inherit taken away from them. There's all kinds of different stories. All of us have our, our stories of inheritance and, or lack of inheritance and all of that. But Paul says, you and I, as fellow Christians, we have an inheritance. And Audrey, there's a great inheritance coming for you someday when you go home to see Jesus. And there's a great inheritance that every single one of us have that we can look forward to when we leave this life. There isn't anything that anyone could have given us here on earth that will even begin to compare to the inheritance that you and I have to look forward to when we go home to see Jesus. And we ought to be thankful for that. We ought to live our lives grateful for the awareness that there's coming an inheritance and we haven't even read the full will yet. We don't even know what's in it because God couldn't even describe it all for us in such a way that we would understand it. The second thing he says is that we have been rescued from darkness. Now for... For many of you my age and older, we grew up in a time when we weren't quite so aware of all the darkness and the wages of sin. We, we grew up in a nation that, for the most part, had Judeo-Christian roots. And even if people didn't serve God, 
They grew up learning the Ten Commandments, learning to respect them, and, and society basically here in America was a Christian society. As, as we have lost that, you can look around McKenzie County and there are evidences all the way around of what it means to live in darkness. And if you are so much in the church that you don't see that, you need to get out there and just look around a little bit. But friends, you should thank God every day that you know Jesus and that you have been rescued from darkness. If you get involved in the lives of people out there that are dealing with this and that and something else, and all the addictions out there and all the suffering and all the evil in the world, simply because they don't know Christ. The devastation and the destruction that comes on people who don't know Christ, who, haven't, who are being raised in a world without any godly foundation, without any backbone of truth in their life. And you see the destruction. You and I ought to be thankful today that we have been rescued from darkness. Be thankful for that. Wake up and thank God. Some of you today here may not even be solid, solidly saved and converted. But just because you're here indicates you've had some training and some background and, and you're in the path. And hopefully we will see that day when you come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior and go wholehearted with Him. But even in that process... God has rescued you from a lot of darkness that you could be walking into. Thank God you have been rescued from darkness. <laughs> and then he says, in the NIV it says included in other translations, it says translated. It means picked up from one kingdom, the kingdom of Satan, and plopped down in God's kingdom. Moved over, transferred. You and I, before we came to Christ, we belonged to Satan. And Paul says, no, we are no longer there. We have been picked up and God has picked us up and pulled us out of Satan's hands and he has put us in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And you and I need to be thankful that we are part of his kingdom. And then the last thing he says is we have been redeemed. Someone put a price on your head and my head. And Jesus paid the price for that to redeem us and to save us. And we have been forgiven. And I don't know about you, but I, 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 the longer I know people and the longer I know myself, I get more convinced every day that I am a sinner and I need a Savior. And all it takes is to live with myself, <laughs> to become more and more convinced that I am so glad I've got a Savior who has redeemed and forgiven me. You and I need to be people with an attitude of thankfulness for all that God has done for us.